0: Well, I ask you to open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. And I will be reading verses 9 through 11. Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. A renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free man. But Christ is all and in all. Why do people lie? Why do people, what is people's motive for telling someone else something that isn't true? Well, there are so many reasons for people to lie that it's impossible to list them all, but they basically fall into the category of, it's mostly lying to gain something that isn't yours or to keep something that you otherwise might lose if you uh, told the truth and so you're afraid of uh, losing and you try to protect yourself by uh lying um, that thing could be anything could be money cuz to lie uh could be attention lie just to get uh, attention you wouldn't otherwise uh, get the number one reason people lie and i guess this has been uh shown in studies of whatever kind on uh lying is to avoid punishment it's to avoid punishment that's why children lie for the most part and then it continues to be the main reason why adults lie um, as well. Mom, I didn't eat that cookie. Or uh, officer, I, th- I thought I was only going 55 uh, miles an hour. Um, children don't need to be taught to lie. And uh, they have an innate ability to lie. And it's usually discovered by them trying to avoid uh punishment. And so children, as soon as they know how to speak, and this is according to scripture, also know how to lie. Psalm chapter 58, verse three says, the wicked, and that's all of us. We have to be saved from that. Uh, the wicked go astray from the womb, speaking lies. So uh, this is uh, our nature. It's our nature to uh, the nature that we're born with uh, to lie. And that's what this passage is about. It's on the, the subject of uh, lying. Um, in our Sunday school for this uh, school year, and then um, now also as we come into chapter 3 in this section of the letter of uh, Colossians, our study has been what it means to be a disciple yourself and also to help others to be a disciple. So what it means to, as Christ said to his disciples from the very beginning, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me and I will make you be... As, uh, even though it's impossible for you to imagine someone who helps other people to uh, follow me as well. And so uh, we've been looking at the responsibilities of the Christian life, the responsibilities of the Christian life. And this is an important one. It deserves special attention, and it gets uh, treatment kind of all by itself among uh, uh, all the responsibilities. Some of them are mentioned in lists, not this one. This one is mentioned all by itself. And it's the responsibility simply of a Christian to avoid lying, to avoid lying. Lying has no place in the Christian life. And so uh, the practice of lying, as Paul says here, needs to be put off, needs to be put away among, among a a number of other things, needs to be put to death. So in this passage that I just read, we have a command do not lie to one another, and then it's followed by two reasons why not to, why 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 we shouldn't uh, lie to one another. The first one has to do with the individual, the Christian. Why lying is not fitting for the Christian, seen individually. And we looked at that last um, last week. Um, we're going pretty slowly. Um, the second reason has to do with the community, with the church, and that's what we're going to look at this morning is why lying is not fitting for the church. Lying is totally out of place. Lying has no place for the individual Christian. We looked at that last week and this morning. Lying has no place in uh, the church. So uh, the first reason I'll just kind of go over this just by way of a little bit of review has to do with the individual. It says, do not lie to one another. There's the command. There's the responsibility. Verse nine. And here's the first reason it has to do with the individual. Since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices, And have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. And so the first reason not to lie has to do with the new self. You've put aside the new, you've put on the new self and you've put aside the old self with all of its practices, which includes chiefly among them, uh, lying. And so you're involved in a renewal. A renewal is taking place and the renewal is you stepping into the new you—it's putting on the new you that you have—that's a reality in Christ. So we talked a bit about the new nature. We've been talking about it. I hope, if you're a Christian, that you're excited about the new nature—the new you, who you are uh, in Christ. Hope your interest is piqued in that. If you're not a Christian, if you're not trusting in Christ as your Savior then you don't need to worry about it. There isn't a new you. Um, but if you're a believer, I hope you're excited about and have a, a sense of anticipation about the new you. The true you is found in Christ. And so we talked about the old you is totally oriented to yourself, totally oriented towards yourself. And the new you is the you turned inside out so that you're oriented towards others as God himself is oriented to love. God is uh, love. And so the true you is found not in your tastes, your preferences, your likes and dislikes. You put all those together and they're all really pretty boring. They're all pretty. uh, That's not really who you are. The true you is found in giving to others. That's where you find your true identity in Christ, uh, the true uh, you. And uh, it's a thousand times more interesting than the old you. I will say that, just as a as an encouragement uh, towards this transformation. Selfishness really has one face, and it's an ugly one. Selflessness, that's the new new nature, has a thousand faces. They're all different, they're all unique, uh, and they're all uh, beautiful. And so I hope you're excited about the transformation of uh, the new you, and even discovering the new you. That is all the ways in which God is pleased to bring out. The uniqueness of, you, of the new you, the new you in, in Christ in your new nature, and it's, it's discovered in concert with others, in give, like the people in this church that are around you, in giving to them, in giving with them as well, and exercising gifts together in the, in the task of ministry and uh, uh, giving, and giving to and with new people that the Lord will bring in as well as he accomplishes his work in the age and uh, uh, brings in a harvest of uh, souls being transformed in the church. So uh, the new you, all the ways in which the Lord is going to uh, bring that out uh, in you, it's a little hard to know ahead of time. It has to happen in time. It has to unfold. Uh, man plans his way, but the Lord directs uh, his steps. Um, and so uh, it's a, it's somewhat unpredictable. Two men went into the temple to pray. The Pharisee he prayed to the Lord, uh, just thanking the Lord that he wasn't like this uh, tax collector that he that he saw. He was so thankful uh, for that. The tax collector was beating on his breast, "Lord, be merciful to me, the sinner." And uh, that man went down to his house justified, righteous in God's sight. The Pharisee uh, did not. But the Pharisee went down to his house. And you pretty much know what he's going to be like. The Pharisees were pretty much all the same. They had uh, one type of Pharisee, one uh, sort of mask that they all uh, wore. The man who went down to his house justified the tax collector. Who knows what he will become? The unique way in which the Lord is going to use uh, him. There's no way to predict it exactly because each one is different in that. And so that's the new uh, nature. So I hope it's just an encouragement to you. Uh, the reality of the new nature. It's a reason for the Christian to smile at the future uh, and to look forward to the future as well. But the new you, as Paul makes the point, is not a lying you, is not a lying you, is a truth-telling you, is a, it's a you who puts aside uh, lying. And uh, he gives the reason for that, and it's a reason that goes all the way back to the character of God. Uh, Do not lie to one another since you've laid aside the old self, the old you, uh, the old person with its evil practices and put on the new self is being renewed to a true knowledge, according to the image of the one who created him. And so the reason the new you is, is not a lying you goes all the way back to the character of God himself. The new you is in the image. It's a, it's a picture. It's a representation of actually the character of God. And so the new you is not a lying you because God is not a lying God. And so it relates to his, um, character. So lying has no place in the new you. The first reason I said had to do with the individual, the Christian, uh, because of that. And along with that, lying has no place in the church, in the church together. That's why it's, it's even put in that form. Do not lie to one another. And so there's an emphasis on, um, on the church. And so the second reason I've put it that way, it's in verse 11. We're going to spend our whole time, the rest of our time in uh, verse um, 11. And uh, it uh, speaks of lying. It's another reason why you're not to lie to one another. You're to embrace that uh, responsibility. And it's because of something that's true in the church, that in the church, there's no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free man, but Christ is all and in all. And uh, he gives this, thought um it's it's a, an explanation of the new nature of the new nature which he's been talking about the new self the new self and it's he actually says um don't lie because you put on the new self explains the new self it's created in the character where there is no distinction between greek and jew is as if the new self is a place is a where. Where there's no distinction, but Christ is all in all. And so it's in the realm of the new self that these distinctions that he mentions uh, don't uh, apply anymore because Christ is all in all. And it speaks of the way we relate to one another, the way we relate to people who are different from you. So you're a Jew and someone else is a a Greek, but Christ is uh, all uh, in all. So he speaks of Categories here, and this is a part of the new nature as it comes to expression in the church, in a group of people with uh, differences from uh, each other, speaks of categories that are in some sense nullified. In fact, that's what he says. Where there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all, uh, in all. And we'll, we'll talk about the sense in which these things are nullified. These distinctions are nullified and the, the way in which they're not nullified in, uh, the church. But he mentions, he mentions these groups or these characteristics. These are things that cause groups to cohere. Uh, being Greek, being a Jew being circumcised, being uncircumcised. And if you have this in common, that can be uh, the unity that you have in a group that causes you, uh, the group, to um, cohere uh, and to have uh, a unity. And uh, he's mentioned these things with a view to fundamental distinctions in, in the ancient society that he lived in. So these things gave a group identity, an important group identity in the society that he lived in. And he mentions them mostly in pairs of uh, antitheses, opposites. So these are fissures that can be pried open to cause a division like Greek and, and Gentile or um, circumcised and uncircumcised or um, uh, Greek civilized and barbarian or slave and uh, free, free man. And he says... They don't exist. They don't matter because in the church, Christ is all and in all. Now, this idea was uh, a favorite for Paul. In fact, he talks about this in a a number of other places, such as uh, Galatians chapter 3 and uh, verse uh, 26, where he says to Christians, you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ." Where there is neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free man. There's neither male nor female. He mentions that. He didn't mention that in Colossians, but uh, here in Galatians, he mentions that distinction as well. Neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13 is another place where uh, he mentions this. Um, For by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks whether slaves or free, and we are all made to drink of one, uh, spirit. In, uh, Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, Paul reminds, uh, Christians that, uh, in Christ, the slave is the Lord's freedman, and the free person is Christ's slave, um, as well. Or in, uh, Galatians chapter 6, verse 15, he says, in Christ, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision matters, but what matters is the new creation. Is the new cre- that's what we have in common. The new, the new person in uh, christ so he mentioned some of these fundamental distinctions and i think he's he's grasping for the most fun, when he gives these lists that no longer matter in uh christ i think he's grasping for the most fundamental things that can define a group that uh, can uh, bring coherence uh to people and he's saying they're fundamental no longer nor are these the things that cause the church to cohere to uh one another and uh I'll add this. They don't matter in the church. And in the same way, they won't matter on judgment day as well. On judgment day um, as well. It won't matter if you're a Jew or a Greek or if you're uncircumcised or if you're uncircumcision. The only thing that's going to matter is, is the new creation. The only thing that's going to matter is uh, Christ. And uh, that specifically said, another list like this on judgment day. In fact, uh, Revelation 19, we won't turn to it, but Christ comes on a white horse and there's a great battle. There's a great battle uh, that takes place and there's a battlefield and it's littered with corpses. And so in a very picturesque way, he calls the birds, the these are the vultures, these are the birds of prey, to come and feast on the flesh of kings and commanders, but also slaves and poor people. And uh, it mentions all these different distinctions that matter a lot now, and they don't matter. The battlefield is littered uh, with all of them because all of them alike have fallen under God's uh, judgment. Um, as well. So Paul mentions these um, uh, groupings that are in some way set aside in uh, Christ. Some have noticed uh, Paul seems to set these categories in uh, opposition or corresponding to the daily prayer of a Jewish man who every day, according to their rote uh, prayers, would thank God that he was not born a Gentile, was not born a slave, and was not born a woman, uh, and so paul Paul uh, go, puts those uh, alongside and it's sort of laughable some some of that to, in their defense, I think that what they would say is that according to the rabbinic traditions, um, a man was more obligated to obey god 's commands, and so uh, um, obeying the Lord and being responsible was sort of an elitist thing uh, for them, and so they would say well i 'm more responsible." it was only for the men. The women were considered busy doing other things and the slaves as well. And so the men had the most commandments to um, obey. Um, of course, this became kind of a humble boast and a very thin disguise for pride uh, and pride in these uh, uh, things. So these are things that no longer exist in the church, or at least in some sense, no longer exist or nullified in Christ. In some sense, these distinctions continue And uh, why do I say that? Why do I say that? Well, if you just keep on reading a little bit further, in uh, Colossians, um, there's going to be a set of instructions given for slaves and a different set of instructions given for masters who are free. Or if you read in uh, uh, Colossians or in other places as well, there's uh, different instructions given for wives and different instructions given for husbands. Um, They have uh, different commandments given to them and responsibilities both in the family um, and also in uh, the church. And so um, these are um, nullified, these distinctions are nullified in some way, and in some ways they remain um, as well. Not all these distinctions are parallel. Some of them go back to um, creation itself. God created man, male and female. Not mentioned here, but it's mentioned in some of the other lists uh, that Paul makes. Uh, some of the distinctions are man-made, Slave and free, that's a, a man-made distinction. And some of them are um, made by God, but not, not going all the way back to creation. And, and uh, nations uh, and nationalities would be a part of that. Although some of those distinctions are even going to remain in the new heavens and the new earth. It talks about nations existing, in, even in uh, Revelation chapter 22. And so um, Bible teachers have kind of puzzled over, in what sense do these key distinctions in identity no longer exist in the church, no longer exist in Christ. And in what uh, sense do they, do they continue in Christ? Actually, if you're a man, you're gonna be a man for all eternity. If you're a female, you're gonna be a female for all eternity. And it's important uh, that you are. But there's some sense in the church in which that doesn't matter. That doesn't uh, matter. Uh, 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 and uh, I think that the answer is this that your righteous standing in God's sight by faith is not related to any of these things. It's not related to any of, of these things. There's no way in which these uh, things recommend you to God or, or keep you from salvation as well, whether you're male or female, circumcised or Scythian, uh, Greek or Jew, a barbarian, slave or free. Let me put it this way. Uh, the way in which you belong to the family of God has nothing to do with any of these things. And that's true of how you become part of God's blood-bought, forgiven, and cleansed family, whether you're slave or free, male or female, barbarian, Scythian, American, Australian, uh, uh, Jewish, uh, Gentile makes uh, no difference, nor the extent to which you belong. And you could add other uh, distinctions in here too. Rich, poor, uh, mighty, strong, intelligent, simple, uh, any of those uh, distinctions uh, make no difference to how you become part of God's family and the extent to which you belong. Once you become part of God's family, it's not like an onion where you uh, get in on the first layer and then there's a central core that maybe, maybe the few uh, will uh, get into. know you you completely belong uh, to God's family and Christ is all in all. And uh, I like it that Paul mentions the Scythian. In here, I think it 's the only place in the Bible where it's. Scythians are mentioned i i 've been uh, studying a little bit about them. The Scythians were a nomadic people of the Asian steppes. They used horses, um, they were warlike uh, people. Um, they were a little bit in the past. The zenith of their civilization was a few hundred years in the past, and they had been replaced in that area of the globe. I think by the Parthians, if I'm not wrong at this point. But they they specifically were were sort of a fascination to the Greek uh, world and also sort of repulsive uh, to them. The the Scythians were especially known for their cruelty and their savagery. Josephus is the uh, Jewish historian. He describes them as delighting in murder of people and little different from wild beasts. So the barbarian is really anyone who doesn't speak Greek who is thought of as uncivilized. And the Scythian is like the worst of the barbarians. And that's why they're mentioned here. And I, I like it that Paul mentions them. And I'm guessing there weren't a lot of Scythian Christians in the church in Colossae. I, I could be wrong about that because I don't know. But I'm kind of guessing uh, that. And Paul includes them anyway. And that's not true of all the categories here. He mentions slave and free. There were plenty of slaves who were um, in the church in Colossae. In fact, he's going to mention some of them. He's going to address uh, some of them. There were plenty of slaves in the church in Colossae and free people in the church in Colossae. Colossae. And so he mentions them importantly. That could have been a problem. That could have been a, a, a rift in the church. But he mentions uh, Scythians, even though there's no uh, Scythian believers probably uh, in the church or not yet. And so this group, I, I like this about this uh, uh, listing is that, Paul's looking outside the church to expanding the church and uh, not just in the West. Paul's whole life was kind of a giant leap uh, westward for the church and Colossae was part of that uh, push, but to the East as well. That's where the Scythians are from. They're from the Asian area, the Black Sea uh, region. And so I, I like that he's putting this um, to sort of trace out the furthest extent of what is meant by barbarian, but also to say, get ready for a harvest of souls, uh, because um, um, all of these are invited to the feast. All of these are invited to uh, the gospel, in, including the Scythian as well. Well, let me step back from this passage to remember where we are, what, what the point he's making by saying that these things don't exist and are nullified in the church because Christ is all in all. What he's expanding on is he's given his reasons why lying is not fitting. Why lying is not fitting. And the first reason had to do with um, the individual Christian and the new nature. And now he's expanding on this, uh, how the new nature forms a unity in a group that's not based on any of these things. But it's based on Christ as all in all. But don't lose the thread. The thread is that a Christian shouldn't lie. And this is one of the reasons why it's because our unity isn't based on any of these things, but it's based on Christ. So what's the thought? Why is that a reason not to lie? What's the thought here? And I think the thought is this. He doesn't, Paul doesn't uh, completely explain it, but I think the thought is this. Being a Greek or a Jew or being circumcised or being a barbarian or being Scythian or being free cannot cause your sins to be forgiven or deliver you from death or deliver you from the power of sin. And so if this is the best thing about you, if this is the best thing about uh, the church, you might need to lie to get what you don't have. If this is the, the, the best thing to recommend yourself is that you belong to part of these uh, groups. But in the church, Christ is everything. And if you have Christ, you have everything you need. If Christ is your unity, if Christ is the best thing about you, you uh, have no need uh, to lie because you have everything in Christ. And so he gives this phrase at the end uh, as he speaks of this. Um, the new nature is where there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free. But Christ is all and in all Christ. Christ is everything. He's everything you need. You don't need to try to gain something by lying. And he's in all. And uh, when you first read that, you might be tempted to say, Christ is all. He's everything. And he's in all. He's in each one of us. And that's the unity for it. I think the the grammar of the passage speaks um, against that. Christ is all. And he's in all things. All things, not people, is uh, what is meant. That's the way Paul... Um, Puts it um, here, and I think the the thought returns to what Paul uh, has spoke of: all things hold together in Christ, and even all things are going to find their redemption in Christ. He talked about that in uh, Colossians uh, chapter one. So if Christ is everything for you, Christ gives you everything uh, that you need, and uh, in the church, it's also true that all the things around you belong to Christ and serve Christ, and actually serve you, are working together for your good as well. And so uh, the reality serves you. The reality is for your salvation, is for your good, and so it's something that doesn't need to be papered over with lies. It can be revealed, uh, the truth that's found in uh, Christ. In a moment, we're going to observe the Lord's uh, table, where the Lord pledges to you, in a special way in a, in a way that's designed to get your attention uh, and cause you to stop uh, and think uh, uh, and is it, sort of a formal way as he presents this to you in his uh, with these symbols that he's chosen he pledges to you in a special way my body is for you and pledges to you in a special way my blood is shed for the forgiveness of sins and so if you have faith if you believe that those words are true and that they're true for you and you're trusting to that. You're not simply holding in your mind something that's true, like having the right answer to a piece of trivia. But you have Christ himself, because that's what the words mean. My body is for you. If you're trusting in that, then you have Christ uh, himself. You can't separate faith in that word from the presence of Christ himself. And you can't separate the presence of Christ himself from. From faith in that word, it's the only way you have him and the only way you have uh, the presence of Christ. And so by faith, by simply believing in that word, Bible says you're seated with him at the right hand of God. That's a reality or, or uh, to put it differently. You've put on Christ or as Paul says, it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me or we are members of his body, of his flesh and his bones. And so by faith, simply in Christ, He's present with His power to forgive, to save, and so you have everything uh, in that uh, uh, sense. And He is the He's the Logos. He's what stands behind and causes all things to cohere uh, to one another. And so this is the unity in the church, and it's a unity that that rules out lying. There's no need for lying. In fact, uh, truth is uh, what um, uh, becomes. Uh, what we need, something that we don't need to paper over uh, at all, that Christ is all and is in all. Truth is the friend of a Christian always. Truth is a friend of a Christian always, even when we don't understand how it is. Uh, and this is the point that I was making last uh, week, that the reality, when you speak the truth, you're speaking something that matches reality, that reality is shaped by God's love as it's revealed in uh, Christ. And so when you lie, you're trying to shape reality by your own word. You're trying to change reality, not as it's sustained by God's own word, the Logos Christ, but by your word. And it's the same as saying, I wish God didn't exist. When you tell a lie, it's the same as saying, Christ isn't everything to me. He's not all. He's not my all. And he's not in all because I'd like it to be different. And I'd like to uh, speak something that is uh, a lie. And God, takes it personally. He takes it personally. He takes it, and that's why uh, this responsibility of the Christian life is so important to uh, him. So lying has no place in the new nature, which is the image of God's character, and lying has no place in the church, the church which is the place where Christ is all. Christ is all and uh, is in uh, everything. David, who's described as a man after God's own heart, wrote this about God. Behold, you desire truth in the innermost part. So the truth is not just to be on your lips. The truth is to go all the way through and through. The truth is to be found all the way through uh, your heart. Uh, David pronounces a blessing on the man whom God has forgiven. Psalm uh, 32, how blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered how blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity in whose spirit there is no deceit. In whose spirit there is no deceit. The forgiven man is a man who, in whose spirit who, uh, is no deceit. The forgiven person, and that's the blessed person that David is talking about, has nothing to fear from the truth, from telling the truth to God, to yourself, and to others as well. And so the forgiven person, the person who's trusting in Christ, and Christ is present in him with power uh, to save, can call sin what it is, the ugly offense to God uh, that it is, because he knows he's forgiven and he's cleansed. In fact, and he's being cleansed. In fact, it's the knowledge that you are forgiven that enables you to call sin what it is and to turn from it as well. And so, um, the, the Bible says that the sun sets you free. If whom the sun sets free is uh, free indeed. And then it goes on to say the truth will set you free, uh, will, will set you free, um, as well. Christians is a, uh, the church is a place where truth prevails where truth uh, reigns and where truth characterizes all and lying is uh, completely out of uh, place. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 15 describes the church being instrumental in our growth and uh, as each part works together uh, for the growth of the whole body uh, in love. And it says that our responsibility is to speak the truth in love. So this is the negative part. Do not lie to one another. Uh, the positive part is to speak the truth to one another in love. I think sometimes when we think of that, speaking the truth to one another in love, we think of that at the tail end of this responsibility to speak truth to one another and make sure it's done in love. We think of it as an artificial adornment that we're adding to the truth to sort of sugarcoat it whenever the truth needs to be uh, told. But really, the truth, the reality of God lives in love. Love is actually the natural environment for speaking the truth as it's found in, uh, Christ. And so, um, speaking the truth in love isn't something artificial that man, man-made that you bring to the truth when you, uh, minister it and speak it to someone else in whatever context it needs, uh, to be done. Uh, the truth exists in love because the truth exists in Christ. He's, he's the one who holds all things together according to his character. In Christ, loving kindness and truth have kissed psalm 85:10. it's already happened so when you speak the truth you're you uh, ought to speak it in love to match uh what the truth is you don't have to make loving kindness and truth kiss <laughs> they've already done it they've already done it and so you just need to speak uh the truth so the church is to be the place where truth lives because love lives they live together because christ lives and all of those match uh his uh character So Christ's truth, Christ's love is found in all real things and in what is said about things uh, that are real. It's found everywhere that you look. And so the church is to be a place of openness, of frankness, of boldness, of speaking the truth in love where it needs uh, to be uh, spoken uh, in all areas of the of the of the Christian life and in helping one another to grow. And I'll end just with this as kind of a negative example, how different this is from the Pharisees. They're they're a helpful opposite. I like to go back uh, to them. The the gospel itself is presented alongside with these uh, enemies of Christ. They're a a foil. They're an opposite to Christ and to the gospel Um, in many ways. They're not so foreign to what we know as well. They're an expression of the human heart, kind of a, almost an exaggerated expression of uh, the human heart, which um, which is how they're, they're meant to be. But how different the atmosphere of the church, which is an atmosphere of speaking the truth, of openness, of frankness to one another, and uh, done in love, how different it is from the atmosphere of the Pharisees, whose whole life is built on pretense, of pretending to be something that they're not. And so the Lord uh, spoke to them as hypocrites, as hypocrites, as uh, whitewashed tombs. Um, and that went through and through to their person. Their whole life was based on a lying, on hypocrisy, and on the, the group that they set up uh, as well. That was the atmosphere of their group um, as well. And so uh, you see them in action when challenged publicly by the Lord. They don't speak to him openly. They don't confront him. They're silent often. They grumble. In fact, um, you'll find uh, many uh, examples of them grumbling, backbiting, slandering uh, the Lord behind the scenes. In fact, the Lord rebukes them at one point and tells them to stop uh, grumbling. Instead of confronting him, head on openly uh, contending for uh, the truth, they go around his back and they whisper to his disciples, why doesn't why doesn't your teacher wash his hands? Like uh, the elders, they try to plant that seed in the disciple's mind, and the disciple, why doesn't he wash his hands? And they go and ask him uh, for it. And so the Lord tells them, beware of the leaven of uh, the Pharisees. It's something that works not openly, not straightforwardly, not boldly, but you put it in the bread, and you don't quite see how it's uh, working. And it's the same with them. Uh, they were a conspiring group. So the Lord confronted them. Instead of confronting him, they went and conspired together as to how to destroy him. And when they finally um, did kill him, it was by stealth, by meeting at night, by meeting with someone who was to uh, betray him. And so the Pharisee culture, if you want to put it that way, was a gossiping, whispering and indirect uh, culture. And it was exhausting for them. Their whole life was based on pretense. It was the kind of thing where you need a break. From it, And that's the way the Lord described the Pharisees as putting heavy burdens uh, upon people that they're not able to bear. It's not so in the church. Christ taught, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Uh, in other words, when you say yes, it should mean yes. It shouldn't mean a, a bunch of different things and hide a bunch of different things. It should just mean yes. And when you say no, it should mean no um, as well. The, uh, how different this was from the Pharisees who played all kinds of word games. They got really elaborate. If you swear by the the temple, it means nothing. But if you swear by the gold of the temple, then it's binding. Uh, if you uh, swear by the altar, it's nothing. But if you swear by the offering that's on the altar, then it's uh, a binding. And so uh, truth-telling, truth-telling is something that is found in the church because it's found in Christ and it goes all the way to the very heart of uh, the Christian uh, that's important. James uh, chapter five uh, gives this, let your yes be yes and no be no. He um, he reproduces it in his uh, letter and he puts it above all, above all, it's kind of uh, surprising that he makes it so important. James chapter five and um, verse 12. But above all, my brethren, and he said a lot to say to them, But above all, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but your yes is to be yes and your no, no, so that you will not fall under judgment. This uh, characterized Paul's ministry, openness, frankness, boldness. He often talked about this with the churches. When I came to you, I didn't come with flattery, trying to win your attention, peddling something. Uh, like a salesman who's not going to tell you uh, the whole truth, but I was open towards you. I loved you and I spoke truthfully to you. And that's the way Paul was when he came into a uh, town. His uh, There's many passages of scripture. One that uh, strikes my attention is to Paul's uh, problem church. James uh, gave us a, a good summary of his first letter to this uh, church. But in the second letter that we have in scripture that he wrote uh, to them, he says this, our mouth is spoken freely to you. O Corinthians, and that's a Christian. His mouth is open towards God. He's not hiding. His mouth is open towards others. And that's what uh, the atmosphere of the church should be. Our mouth has spoken freely to you, O Corinthians. Our heart is open wide. You are not restrained by us, but you're restrained in your own affections. Now in a like exchange, I speak as the children open wide to us also. So Paul speaks boldly. He speaks from the heart because he speaks truthfully. He doesn't have anything uh, to uh, hide. And he's saying to the Corinthians, Speak, be the same towards us. You're not constrained by us. You're constrained by yourself. And you need to find Christ is all and in all and let it uh, co- open your heart to speak openly and to speak plainly and to speak the truth. So do not lie to one another. It's an important responsibility of the Christian life that needs to be uh, embraced. The church is a place where truth lives and reigns because the church is a place where love lives and reigns because the church is the place where Christ lives and reigns and he is all and in all. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ and we thank you for the way in which he sets us free to know the truth and then to speak the truth. We thank you that we know the truth about sin. We've grasped it not as fully as we should, but we've grasped it truly because we've grasped the truth of salvation that's in Christ, that Christ saves sinners, that his grace is for the undeserving. And so, Father, as we're transformed by this love, transformed into this image, we pray that we might also be transformed into those who tell the truth from the innermost part according to your desire, You desire truth in uh, the innermost part. We pray that we would put aside lying and that we'd be characterized by directness, frankness, openness in our dealings with one another and speaking the truth, both in the church and then to those outside uh, as well. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.